Welcome to the Real Men series, a series for men. We live in a time where there's great confusion over one of the basic truths of life. What is a man? Or what is a woman for that matter? One thing we know with absolute certainty, where confusion reigns, God does not. When God created us male and female, he did that on purpose and with a purpose. The Real Men series is intended to remind us why God made us the way that he did. It will help to remind men who they are in Christ. Real men will help us to rediscover biblical manhood. God has called you to a higher purpose. He has called you to be a real man. Welcome to Real Men. Let's go ahead and uh, pray and then we'll get into this morning's message. Heavenly Father, we come and thank you for this time and we ask the Lord that as we open up your word that you'd open up our hearts and minds, especially we talk about uh, men things, Lord, that um, you would minister to our hearts and minds in a way that makes, uh, makes it clearer for us as we go through this confusing and a chaotic world. We praise you, Lord, and thank you for it. And I lift up David and his family as they're um, ministering to the baby. I pray, Lord, for Lord, just to find out what's going on and um, the baby um, gets through it as we, we believe that he will. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, welcome to the men's breakfast. New year. We're going to do a new, new series this year. <clears throat> Start with a question. What is a real man. There have been differing opinions on exactly how to answer that question forever. I mean, that, that's, not, that's not a new question. But the range of answers was not that wide. People would have different opinions on what, what a real man was, but it wasn't, it wasn't, that, it wasn't that complicated. You know, words like strength and courage and resilience would be used. You know, the you know, real men were providers and protectors. They were hardworking, faithful, dependable. Those are the kinds of words that we would use to describe what a real man is. And, and we're living in a time where our culture doesn't doesn't see it like that. They don't they don't even use terms like that anymore. In fact, it is difficult to get our culture to define what a real man or woman is, right? I mean, if you ask, they'll give you all sorts of strange and sometimes bizarre responses to that question. Terms like gender fluidity and gender identity, they're relatively new to our understanding of who we are in this world, right? In a, in a world where biological gender is binary, male and female, we have that strange concept of non-binary. Don't ask me to explain it. I really don't get it. I, I understand what they're trying to communicate, but I don't, I don't, I don't understand why. Most of the world, for thousands of years, have understood that an adult human male is a man, right? I mean, if we were trying to identify the basic definition of what a man is, it would be an adult human male. 
Now, everyone can decide for themselves in an increasingly diverse and expansive list of choices. I mean, the list gets every day, it seems to get longer and longer and longer of what you might identify yourself as. Now you can even identify yourself as an animal if you want. Now, some guys are animals, but that's, a, that's another conversation. Is it any wonder that people are confused? Is it any wonder that men are confused about what it means to be a real man? There's one thing that we can be certain of in this topic. Where confusion reigns, God does not. Where there's confusion, <clears throat> God is not reigning. But where God reigns in the hearts and minds of people... There is no confusion, but rather there is, there is peace, there is flourishing, there is good. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 14.33, God is not the author of confusion, but peace. If we look around the world and we see confusion, it's a very clear indication to us that God is not in control. Or he's not, not he's not in control, he's not... He is not reigning in the hearts and minds of people. Now, God has made things clear to us in his word, right? Do we believe that? We've got our Bibles here um, or our digital devices that hopefully we're looking at a Bible instead of other things. The purpose of this series is to look into God's word and rediscover what God has said for thousands of years. What God has said is true for thousands of years as it relates to being a real man. Now for many as we go through this series, this is going to be a review for you. These are things you already know. For others, it may equip them to better counter the views of the world and be able to have conversations about these topics. But for every man, I believe what this is, uh, is an opportunity for us, myself included, is an opportunity to re reinforce your identity in Christ. Brothers, I think this is so critical for us in a world that is trying to confuse us on every single topic that we need to know who we are. Who are we in Christ? Now, it's not my goal through this series to change the way the world thinks. Why? Nothing I say is going to make a difference to the world. Only God can change the way the world thinks. Our goal is to equip, edify, and encourage God's men to live within the reality of who God says you are. Not who you're wife says you are, not who your kids say you are, not who your friends say you are, your boss says you are, or, or anyone else, but who God says you are. We're called to live according to God's definition of who we are. Question someone might ask is why? Why, why, why do we have to do this? Why can't we just go on living our lives? Why is it important to understand and embrace the God-ordained role as biblical men. Well, when God created this world, he did it perfectly. And he created it with a very specific order. 
He says, this is how I made it. This is how I want it. This is the way things work. And this is especially true of his highest creation, mankind. In Genesis 1, 27 and 28, it reads, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We know. We've all read this a couple chapters later. Sin enters the world. And what's the result of sin entering the world? God's perfect order is disrupted. It's corrupted. It's broken. The world is the way that it is, is because God's perfect order, instead of God's perfect order, there is disorder of sinful things coming from sinful people who have bought into the lies of the enemy. Good does not come from disorder. Good does not come from chaos. Good does not come from those things, only confusion. So God created men and women, and he created them in his image, and he gave them roles. He said, this is what I want you to be, this is what I want you to do. He, I, there's a place I want you to, a role I want you to play within my creation. And if we do this, then good comes from it. Fruitfulness comes from it. He says, go, be, be fruitful, multiply. And so when we are doing things God's way, we are multiplying, we are being fruitful, and that's what God wants from us. Men, we were created to lead. We're created to lead others to God. If we could see that so clearly, my role in life as a man is to lead others to God. Now, God also created women. And he created women to help us lead others to God. Marriage is a equal partnership of mutual benefit between a man and a woman with the purpose of drawing near to God themselves and to lead others into his presence as well. That's what marriage is all about. And sadly, sin has corrupted that. And if men... If as men, we don't know who we are in Christ, if we don't understand our role and we don't do everything that's possible for us to do. Now, now I know, you know, I'm a, I'm, you know, I, I live in the real world. I know that I can only do my part, that I can't, I can't make my wife do what, you know, she should do, what God would say she should do. All I can do is do my part, but I have to know what my part is. I have to accept my part and I have to do my best to do my part in a way that reflects Christ in every way possible. That's hard. That's hard. If we don't know who we are in Christ, we're going to be incapable of leading anyone to God. It's not possible. If we do, it's just all random. The world is the way that it is because most men do not know who they are. They don't know who they are in Christ. 
They don't know what God created them for. They don't know what God wants from them. And they are just living. They're going with the flow. They're doing what they think is best. And unfortunately, that has led the world to the place that it is today. Now, this series is for the few men who have a heart for God and a desire to see change, in, first in their own lives, but in their marriage, in their families, in their, in their communities, in their church, in the world around them. They desire that change, recognizing that it starts with me. And if you're here this morning or watching online, if you're watching, God bless you, then that might be you. Welcome to the Real Men series. Each message in this series, and I'm going to run it from now until December, each message in this series is going to focus on a trait or a characteristic of a man. And this morning's message might be a little different than what you might expect. Matter of fact, uh, the title I've given it is likely to get some negative comments. So just getting ready for that. We'll see how it goes. Turn your Bible to Luke 22. Luke 22. We're going to look at something that Jesus told the disciples to do right before he was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. So we're going to put up an image here on the screen. You look at this image and an image of a lion and a lamb. Which image is best reflects Christ? Both. The right answer is both. But look at them side by side. A lion and a lamb. And, and if, we, if we pause and reflect, I'm guessing that many of us really wanted to say lamb. But we, you know, we wanted to say, you know, lamb is, the, but no, it's not. In John's vision on the Isle of Patmos, I, I love this, this image because it, it depicts this, this particular image so well. He's on the Isle of Patmos. He gets his vision. And, and at one point, he's in the throne room of God. And he sees the one sitting on the throne. And the one on the throne has this, this scroll in his hand. And it's sealed with seven seals. And, and the question is asked, who can open the scroll? And John looked around and there was no one. No one could open it. And he wept. He wept because he knew what it meant. But then, chapter 5, Revelation 5, 4. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. One of the elders says, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so John turns. What does he expect him to see? A lion. But what does he see? It tells us. He looked. Behold, in the midst of the throne, the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. There it is, the lamb and the lion together. Both are descriptions of Christ. When? Always. They're always his description. 
but they're not always manifested. When he walked on this earth, what would, what would you say is the primary image that we would describe when Jesus walked on this earth? Lamb. Lamb. 99% of the time, not 100%. Now, if you remember, there's one account where he walked into the temple, took a rope, turned it into a whip, and started you know, chasing people out of the temple. Is that, is that a lamb? No. Might be a ram, might do that, but not a lamb. Not that, well, it's gone. Little lamb. Jesus is both the lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb who was slain. When John the Baptist saw Jesus as he was getting ready to be baptized, he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the one when he was here. He was the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we have to see Jesus as the lamb, but he's also the lion, always. Both of those natures are there. The title of this message, this morning's message is, Real Men Can Be Violent. Real men can be violent. Now, when we think of the word violence, we almost always associate it with evil. Almost always. But is that true? Is it true? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you and say, no, it's not. We're in Luke 22, and we're to look at what Jesus told the disciples in 22, verse 35. He said, and he said to them, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack, sandals, did you lack anything? So they said nothing. Jesus had sent them out. At one point, he sent out the 12, and at another point, he sent out 70 to go out and to minister the gospel to others. And he says, don't worry about what you take. Just go, and, and, and you'll be taken care of. <laughs> It was going to be a relatively short trip. And so they didn't really have to worry about things. Now things are going to be different. Verse 36. Then he said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it. And likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that this which is written must be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors for the things concerning me have an end. Instead of, of the disciples going away, Jesus was going away, and he was going to be gone for a long time. And this time he tells them, get a sword. Get a sword. It was so important that they have one. He told them, if you don't have one, sell your garment and get one. That's like, sell, that's like, you know, you got a coat. You got a coat. You're wearing a coat and, and you don't have a sword. Okay, I'm going to sell my coat so I can get a sword. Verse 38. So they said, look, or Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. So Jesus approves of them having these swords, okay? Turn to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Jesus would soon be betrayed and arrested. Life was about to get very dangerous. And Jesus wanted them prepared for whatever might come. Unfortunately, one of them misunderstands Jesus' direction here, and you're not going to be surprised by who it was. In Matthew 26, verse 48. Now his betrayer, that would be Judas, had given them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus 
said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. John's Gospel, not surprisingly, tells us this was Peter who did this. Always the impetuous one. Peter presumed that they were told to have a sword for this moment. But listen to what Jesus says in verse 52. But Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you not think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels. How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? Peter thinks, I've got to, I've got to protect Jesus. I've got to defend Jesus. And, and Jesus says, uh, no, I don't need you to protect me. I could pray to the Father and get legions, thousands upon thousands of angels to protect me. How many angels do you think Jesus needed to protect him? Just one would have been enough. I remember the account in the Old Testament, one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians in a night. They're pretty bad. I wouldn't mess with them. The swords were not for the Garden of Gethsemane. They were not for the time that Jesus is about to experience, the week of the Passion. They weren't for that time. They were for after that time. Not to defend him. He did not need them to defend him. He, they needed them for after Jesus was gone. It's interesting that the two animals most closely associated with Christ are the lion and the lamb. The lamb is almost always gentle and meek, humble, vulnerable. The lion can be violent, but isn't always. The lion will be violent when the tribe or the pride is threatened. It will be violent when they need food. Most of the time, they're sleeping. Lions sleep a lot. And most of the time when they're awake, they can be very tender with their females. They can be very gentle with the cubs. But no matter how gentle they are, no matter how peaceful they might look, they can be violent instantly. It only takes a moment. I always wonder when I see people playing with lions. Ugh. Do you not understand? It's like playing with sharks. Okay, I'm, I've messed around with some sharks in my day, but I always had kept both eyes on them. Now, we don't think of violence as one of the traits of Christ, do we? Hold that question, ask me later. Otherwise, nobody online can hear what you're saying. At the second coming, Christ is going to display a violence that this world has never seen. When he comes and with the sword of his mouth and deals with all of his enemies, 
The world's never seen a violence like that. Even at his first coming, he allowed that violence. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 2. I've already referred to it. We'll go ahead and read it. John chapter 2, verse 13 says this. Now when the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to the Jerusalem, he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a, a house of merchandise. Now, you would have to have a pretty vivid imagination to see this as the lamb. That is not a lamb sort of behavior. Jesus warned Peter not to take up the sword so easily. He told him to have one, but it must be something that is rarely used. The world can be a very dangerous place and evil is operating openly. O October 7th in Israel is evidence enough of that. And don't be so naive as to believe something like that can't happen in America or in Murrieta. Most of the time, the world should see the church and Christians as lambs. Just as when Jesus walked on the earth, most of the time, that's what they saw. They saw a lamb. But he never stopped being a lion. Our message should be a message of peace and love, never inciting violence or promoting hate, ever. Our behavior should be gentle and kind, and we should be willing to allow them to strike us on the cheek. I'm not a violent person. The last fist fight I was in, I was in high school. That's almost 50 years ago. So I'm not a violent person. Not even on the freeway. There was a period where I was willing to be violent. There are several others here as well. At, in the military, as a part of the U.S. military, I was prepared and willing to be a part of violence, to defend this nation. The military today, their role is to defend this nation and the concepts that it, that it stands for. The U.S. military has the potential of great violence, and we've been witness to that. All of us have been long enough to see the U.S. military exercise their might. We're witnessing it even today to a small degree. While it's equipped and prepared to do that great violence, it is also very restrained. It doesn't do it quickly. It doesn't do it easily. It doesn't do it wantonly. Where would our military be? if there were no men capable of violence? Where would local law enforcement be? Now, we, we typically don't like to think of our local law enforcement as violent. But if they have to exercise deadly force to defend the innocent or the weak or the vulnerable, 
I want to know that they're there and they're capable of it, right? Do we not agree that we want people in law enforcement that are capable of great violence, but always restrained by righteousness and truth and justice? The world needs men who can be violent, needs it. And sadly, I'm looking around this world. The reason why I did this message first, I'm looking around this world and I'm seeing men or people that say they're men. I am not convinced that they could. If they were called to, to defend or to fight for what is right, I am not convinced they could. And that, that, that's concerning. The world needs men who can be violent. Not men who are violent, but who can be violent. Real men are men of God, restrained by the Holy Spirit, controlled by the Holy Spirit, influenced by the Holy Spirit, who in Christ-likeness will rise up and pick up the sword when God tells them to. Let's look at that image again. Lion and the lamb. Men, real men of God, have both the lion and the lamb living within them. Now, in future messages, I'm going to talk some more about the lamb, and I might come back to the lion occasionally. But we, have, we should have both of those in us. If we are made in the image of God, if we're called to be like Christ, he is the lion and the lamb, then those natures should also exist within us. And most of the time, most of the time, hopefully all of the time, the world should see only the lamb. But to be real men, the lion must be there. He's got to be ready to come out the moment God calls him. Now, I pray God never calls us to violence. But we should be able to respond if he does. We should be willing to respond if he does. Now, I don't know what that means for you. I'm not even absolutely certain what it means for me. It's one of those things like, what would you do if? I don't know. I'm not there. I don't, I don't know what I would do until I was in the place where I was listening to God telling me what I was going to do in that moment, in that situation. All I've done is I've told God that should he tell me to pick up the sword, that I will obey him. And I'll do it without hesitation and without reservation. And I'll do it as, as like Christ as I am capable so each of us, we need to ask God to speak to our own hearts. What does that mean for us? But men, understand, we must be willing. We must be the lamb. That must be what the whole world sees 99.999% of the time. But in that 0.0001% where God needs the lion to stand up, we need to be willing. And if he calls us, we need to obey. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we come and we thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, we don't often think of you this way, Jesus, as the lion.
And Lord, I think that's a problem right now in our culture. I think we have a culture that where men have been feminized to the point of, of weakness without, without a capacity to, to do what they were created by you, God, to do. God, you made us stronger. You made us faster. You gave us quicker reflexes for a reason. That we might be prepared to defend those who are weak. That we might defend those who need a real man to stand up. And so I pray, Lord. I pray for all of us. That we would recognize that we do have both these, these natures within us. The lion and the lamb. And that while that lamb always ought to be in the forefront. Always ought to be the one that the world sees. There must be a lion in there too. Crouching in the background for that when that time comes. And Lord, I, I know that there are there are many who have have a, they struggle with this concept. They struggle with the idea of, of Christian men and violence. Lord God, we need to see Christ more clearly. We need to see him as he is. He is the lion. Lord God, you would not have used that term if you did not mean it the way that it sounds. The lion is used throughout scripture as a creature of power, as a creature of potential violence. But at the same time, Lord God, we know that as men of God, we need to, we need to keep that animal under control. He should never be seen in our family. He should never be seen in our marriage. He should never be seen in the church. He should never be seen uh, in places where the innocent are. Only when the evil creeps into our lives. And we need to stand up and protect. We need to stand up and, 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 and take care of the weak and the innocent. It's then, Lord God, that we need to be willing to let that let that lion out. And so I pray for us. I pray for Lord, the men that, that this church represents, that all of us would let, let that lion, let that lion exist in us. But under the control of the Holy Spirit, bound by the word of God and, and, and waiting for a word from you, God, on when it should come out. But until then, I pray, Lord, that we would, we would walk as lambs. We would walk innocent and humble and meek, gentle. And we'd allow the, the, the Lamb of God to influence our hearts and minds to all of the world around us. I thank you, Lord, for your word. And we pray, Lord God, that you would use this message to communicate your truths to those who need to hear it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Real Men series. It's our hope that these messages will help you to grow in your faith. If there's anything we can do to help you with that, or if you have any questions, please do not hesitate to connect with us. You can do that by going to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the different ways you can connect with us. 
In the show notes, you'll find links to other things from Calvary Chapel, French Valley, or other things that I have done. Please do not hesitate to connect with us if there's anything we can bless you with. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus. Jesus.